Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, the podcast for curious event professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. My name is Miguel Nevsh and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of EventMB. In this episode titled Nothing Matters More Than Connecting People, I have the pleasure of speaking with Fiona Bruder, President Americas at George B. Johnson Experience Marketing. We cover a lot of topics around creating experiences that connect people, including why we must remember that we are always dealing with humans and understand that connecting people is what makes events really great. We talk about how taking a global perspective is the worst way to connect and how you have to show up and connect personally and individually. We talk about why you don't need to be the smartest person in the room, but you should always try to be the most prepared person in the room. We talk about how finding innovation requires an innovation strategy and that has to be part of your daily process. And we talk about how we should move away from events and towards experiences. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation and I invite you to check out the other episodes of the Event Manager podcast on our website or subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Event Manager Podcast. I am delighted to be joined on this episode by Fiona Bruder, the President Americas at GPJ, or George B. Johnson Experience Marketing. Welcome, Fiona. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much. Really excited to be here. Fiona, we've uh, we met recently. You were a guest at one of our events, and it was uh, really interesting to hear your insight. Um, but I'd love to have you do a short introduction about uh, who you are, and maybe if you could start by when you uh, kind of first came into contact with the the event industry. I don't know if you if you have a kind of exact recollection of kind of your 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 awareness of the event industry, and then kind of take us to where you are today. Uh, first of all, I love that question because it was that moment of time. Um, I'm a big believer, I think as an individual, you have to put yourself out into different experiences. Um, and I'm a big believer in learning. Um, and I was brought up um, by work, working parents. So back in the day, both parents working, and they really believed we had to give back. So we always did a lot of volunteer work. And I was volunteering doing English as a second language. And I was teaching Spanish speaking individuals to study for the citizenship test. And during the training session, I had brought all sorts of techniques and modules about how I was going to engage in this experience. And at the end of the meeting, uh, which unbeknownst to me, I probably had taken over, um, a woman came up to me. She's like, do you have a job? And I had just graduated graduate school. And I said, no, I'm actually um, interviewing. And her father hired me the next day in the event business. Never thought about being in events, probably didn't even know what it was. But it merged two things I've always really been passionate and inquisitive about, which is learning and human engagement. And it, it just it, I fell into it, I think, in some ways. You fell into it probably faster than most people fall into it, right? Yes. Usually people have yeah. some sort of other career and jump in. And Absolutely. so then take us through the, through the journey to, to where you are today. I know you've been with GPJ for, for a long time, but was it yes. all the way through with GPJ? 
No, no. I actually started in a um, in a company back in the day, which was like a trade show producer and a publication. So they had a magazine and then a trade show supporting it. And I was the conference manager um, and worked there for many years, kind of getting to understand the industry. And then I went brand side. So I worked for IBM. Um, for several years in their uh, corporate events department. And then when George B. Johnson uh, was awarded the AOR with um, IBM, we felt it was better for me to be on the agency side and help build out the global model. So spent a good amount of my time at George B. Johnson doing that before I transitioned into broader management positions. All right. So, so a, a very, uh, very interesting career on the, on the agency and then kind of the, the corporate side, for sure. Yes. Um, yes. Would you explain to people that aren't in the industry, what you do, what, what do you tell them? Oh, you could probably ask my dad that question for 20 years. He didn't know. Uh, <laughs> but I think I, I've summed it down to probably what I'm most passionate about. It's like we create brand experiences. People understand what brands are in terms of what they engage with as human beings. And I always tell people, like, we're trying to take the attributes of a brand and make it relatable to their customer, right? That's what we do. But instead of doing it in advertising, we're doing it in events. That resonates for people. They can get it. And normally I give a consumer brand example versus a tech or one of those other things. And then people really um, understand it. And I think in the last few years with what's happened with the pandemic and us having to create virtual experiences, people are seeing that more and now they get it, right? So a little bit more. My family, actually, the first time they truly got it was when we did the uh, a Gulfstream launch for a new plane and they were watching it on YouTube. And then, of course, I had the coolest job in the world because we got to do that. <laughs> okay. That sounded like a lot of fun. It was. So, it, it, you, you know, part of this this creating brand experiences is is event related, right? There, there's the, the actual uh, immersive experience, etc. Um, when you think about creating events that you're most proud of or, or great events, if you will, um, how do you see those being different from events that maybe are good, but not quite outstanding? Mm -hmm. You know, what makes an event go from good to great? Any insights you can share? Yeah, I think that's like the most profound question in the event <laughs> experience industry, um, because I think it's what a lot of people struggle with. And it's, it's taking all those layers and making what we know is very intentional not feel intentional, right? That it, it's so curated that it feels natural. Um, I think there's a couple of key lenses though. For me, the experience that goes from good to great is it can't be experienced elsewhere. Like you feel you're, you're a part of something that is unique um, and that you have to be able to engage with it. And I think the other part about the engagement is it's so intuitive, it drives you to action, to engage with someone, to follow up, to do something. So for me, I think it's always one of those experiences that you feel like it's so different. One really great example is, have you ever been to a Bruce Springsteen concert? Is Unfortunately it? not, but, but okay. uh, there's other you might have to go. You might have to go. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in music and, and concert because music connects people emotionally, right? And, and it doesn't matter what your genre is, but it connects you. Going to a Bruce Springsteen, I'm not even a big Bruce Springsteen fan, but I've been to the concert twice. It's like a revival. The way that he connects people, the way that he uses social feed, he changes his playlist every concert, unlike a lot of people that you can go online and find the playlist like song by song. And it's so um, 
customized to his audience, you feel like it's one-to-one versus one to the 12,000 people that are standing there. That to me is what makes it unique. Like really understanding how to connect with people and giving them multiple ways of doing it. I think that's the other lens. A lot of experiences that are good, it's like one-way communication. You wanna create something that's great. You have to create multiple opportunities for people to engage how they want to, not how you wanna create it. And I think that's a different shift in looking at it. I think they're great insights there. And I think, uh, yeah, I, like you said, that's kind of a big question. Um, you, <laughs> I know you're very passionate about human engagement. Um, why are you so passionate about human engagement? And, and you've sort of answered part of this already, but also yeah. how does this, how do you, how do you use that in your work? How do you, how are you able to sure. kind of take that passion and kind of put it in your work? Sure. Great, great question. And it's a journey, right? Like anything in life, like it takes practice. And I I don't think I'm an expert in it. But I had found, um, you know, people are complex, and we do things in layers, right? My view of everything is everything's in layers, right? Like you have to peel things back to really get to the core of it. And I think the way that I express that, or how I show up in, in my understanding of that is, I listen a lot more than I speak. And that's not the way I started my career. Um, I felt like I was always trying to have to justify what I had to say. And I think it's a very basic skill, but a lot of people don't do it. Um, I ask a ton of questions. It's disarming sometimes to people, but I share with them. I'm going to ask a lot of questions because I actually want to understand. And that ability to tell someone you're, you want to know where they're coming from is really core. Um, I think the other one for me is, and this is the layer part, I try to think about different ways to engage with people. Like not everyone consumes information the same way. We see that in our events, but I'm leading a company, right? With people in different offices all over the United States. And I'm trying to think about different ways to communicate. So the message resonates with them. So I think for me, it's really important just to really remember you're always talking to a person. I'm not writing, you know, I sent out an all hands yesterday uh, communication. I must have reread it 12 times because I was thinking about different people to make sure that the message would hit with them. And honestly, for me, it's made me more approachable as a leader. People trust me more because they feel I'm listening to them. And I think it's such an important thing, especially in this world for leaders to really be their authentic selves. And I think sometimes we have to just pause and listen a whole hell of a lot more than we speak. Thank you for that. Um, I, I noticed in your in your bio, or from what I from what I could see, you are now President Americas, but that includes North and South America. All right. Correct. So tell me a little bit about um, how you need to take different approaches depending on North and South America, and maybe you don't. But you know, you were talking yeah. about how you need to focus on the individual. How yeah. does that sort of difference in culture really um, impact the work that you do, and that kind of impact sure. everything else around it? It's a great question. I think um, it is aligned to that ability to talk to people as individuals and hear where their needs coming from. But the majority of my career at George P. Johnson, I was in a global role. So I was working with you know offices all over the world. And what we would found is that idea that you're global and you're going to land in a country and kind of give them direction is the easiest way for everyone to disconnect from you. Um, so for me, uh, the first one that I always do is I show up. I get on a plane and I go to talk to people directly because, again, it shows that you're interested in them. 
I also ask a lot of questions about culture because culturally how we show up in experiences is different. And it's little things. The timing an event might be different in Sao Paulo than you'd have it sitting in New York, right? Culturally, uh, meals would be very different. So it's those sort of things. And I think you have to take the time uh, to understand that. So, you know, overarching how people engage in the components of an event don't change, but the alignment to the cultural aspects in each country is completely different. And I think, um, again, when you listen, you pick up on that really quickly. And um, we, we've been able to grow our business because of that, right? That understanding and our leadership takes the time to uh, really understand each of the different um, offices and their cultures. That, I think that's great advice. And being Portuguese, uh, having done <laughs> part of my career in the UK and now living in Denmark and working yep. a lot with the US, I, I see a lot of those differences. And, and I don't always know how to address those, you know, sometimes I get it wrong. And sometimes, yeah, I, I think your point you made about showing up as the global leader is 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 kind of the wrong way to go about it. That's I don't right. think local right. or in a small section of the business necessarily. That doesn't impress but, people or it may impress people, but it doesn't help you get the, the title impressed. might impress people, but it doesn't help because at the end of the day, where's the event taking place locally? It's a local yeah. experience with a local audience. So yeah, there might be brand components that are global and have to be consistent, but how they come to life in that experience, it's it's always, we have an affectionate term called glocal, right? And we literally have merged the two to say, you take components of both. And, and we use that all the time now in working yeah. with our clients and reminding them as well, it's really important that you have to see the value in both sides, what global provides and what the local team needs and bringing them together. Fascinating. Um, I'm a big believer in learning from mistakes and from things that don't quite go right. Um, and I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot a bit, but do you have any examples of times when maybe you didn't get that quite right that you could share with us and say, hey, maybe we could have handled this a little bit better and this is probably what I would have done today? Oh, well, I have probably a long list. If you have a couple of hours, I could probably go through it. Um, look, I'm a big believer in the only way to learn and grow is to fail. Like I, I've was raised that way. I've taught my children that. Um, but the one again, because it was so profound for me, it was years ago and I was a um, conference pr producer. So I was doing a main stage keynote. And I will be honest, it was like well before the days that you showed up with a memory key and stuck it in a computer. And the speaker showed up with the wrong presentation. And there was 2000 people in the room. And I had no backup plan. And I mean, no backup plan. And the CEO, when I was nowhere, you know, I was a conference manager, was in the audience screaming at me about what we were going to do, what we were going to do. And I had no plan. Uh, the only saving grace is that the presenter was very fluid and I was able to talk to him and he was able to give a presentation without slides, which is not good in a keynote presentation. But I walked away from that meeting saying I will always be the most prepared person in every meeting I ever go to. And I think you have to feel that pain and that like all the eyes stare, because everyone was coming into the room at the time and all those eyes staring on you. So uh, the way it comes to life at, at George P. Johnson, and I'm sure other companies do this, but we do 30, 60, 90 day audits with, for every large project to the executive team. So we can all poke holes and talk about what's the contingency plan, especially now, right? In the pandemic, what happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? So for me, I think it always struck me to be, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room because I don't believe in that. You have to be the most prepared. And I think that lesson stuck with me. And I was in my early twenties when that happened. So it, it's really been a driving force for me throughout my career. And so do you, every time you, 
anybody kind of has to present something does it sort of trigger something in your mind kind of like let me oh, make sure that there's a back like heart <laughs> like absolute heart but you know what i do i ask those questions what would you do if the electricity went out what would you do if this what would you do if the speaker doesn't show up like there that for me it's why i always pros probe questions because you have to be more prepared because i will tell you you can do everything flawlessly in an event and one little blip that's all people remember right everything else can be perfect it's the blip but if there's a blip and you recover, right, that is what people always remember and how you were prepared and the, the plan that you had. And I think that's been um, super important in, in my career and in challenging the, the people at GPJ and our team. And we come every experience. That's what our, our team does. It's amazing. So, Absolutely. Um, I know that part of your role is also to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of larger event trends. Uh, and I think coming from the previous question, I think what's always interesting is how averse to sort of new innovation and, and and kind of different trying different things planners are because it's so such a time sensitive role right um, yep. but how do you how do you do that as part of your role and and are there any kind of specific ways that you look at the market and what's happening to kind of pick up on those trends and things that you can use sure. internally uh, great great question and one of the biggest challenges we have right and the reason why people sometimes are adverse to innovation is the other way is proven. They've shown the results, right? So what I always tell people is, yes, it's proven and it's good, but it's your earlier question. You know how you get to great is you push yourself out of that envelope and you try something that's new and innovative. So for us, we're always thinking about what's ahead. And I think we talked about this in one of our last discussions. When the pandemic hit, we instantly executed 200 virtual events because we'd already been investing in digital, right? We've been investing in broadcast because we knew that was the next way when you're creating a digital experience, it was all about quality, TV level quality. And therefore we were investing in broadcast. Um, the way we do it is we have a huge strategy practice. I am a believer that strategy starts everything, right? And there's a thread that comes to life because when you have a strategic plan and a point of view, it's something you hold up and all decisions get aligned to that versus emotional things or different things that come up in the planning. So we partner with our strategy practice and really give them space um, to go out. During the pandemic, we created weekly innovation newsletters for our clients to talk about everything that was happening in the industry. And it caused us to create all new opportunities and service offerings within the agency. But I think the other one, I wanna like bridge something that goes to our earlier discussion we're not just looking at event trends. Our team goes and studies uh, concerts, museums, festivals, pop-up experiences, right? Um, things where people engage. What are the triggers for that to happen? Because that's where a lot of the trends come, not from what was the biggest event that just happened, right? So thinking about um, a lot of consumer experiences and how people leverage those um, are really important. Like I'm in New York and there's a new thing called Secret New York. And they're creating all these amazing pop-up experiences all throughout the city that you can, you know, experience something in a different way. So I think it's both sides. I think our strategy practice looks at the um, event industry, but then they look at the broader market for different types of experiences and learn from those as well. Brilliant. I like that. I, coming coming from outside inwards, I think is, is really Thank important. You. We've had quite a few yep. guests kind of mention that, but it's always interesting to understand when there is actually a process around that. It's not just sort of expecting people to 
see things and kind of link it to the um, to their work, but actually kind of put that as part of the, That's the right. process. And actually the way to get that, that gap that you were talking about, where sometimes it's the event and how do you drive the innovation? A lot of times we don't show the example of for that individual event. We talk about, think about yourself as a consumer, what would trigger you? And we show an example that's like that. And all of a sudden it opens up a different lens. It's really interesting. You have to show examples that are not in the field or the industry that you're currently talking about. And I think that drives a deeper knowledge. Absolutely. Really important, I think, for, for any event professional or anybody trying to look for new things and innovation in, in the business. Exactly. Exactly. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. Now, I know you're a dedicated ally to, ally to the uh, House of GPJ, the company's LGBTQ plus employee resource group. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, your, your role there and, and how do you, I, I think what, what, I, what I always like to kind of inquire about is, is where do you think, you know, the things that you've worked on have had the most impact? Um, because I've heard a lot of stories internally of, you know, DEI initiatives that, that happen, but then it's hard to see those things actually have an impact. Yeah. Could you kind of get into the, the nitty gritty of, of the impact that, that that initiative has? Sure. So first of all, this is probably, um, if you'd asked me in the last two years where I got the most, um, where I learned the most and where I felt the most valued was in partnering with our community on our DEI initiatives single-handedly. You know, it, it was it was for me, we were able to pause and um, we actually changed the name to Open uh, uh, for our LGBT community. But we have several groups that are um, our employee resource groups. So one is for uh, PACT, which is parents and caregivers. One is for the LGBT. One is for women. So we have multiple of them that we're using right now. Um, look at the, the way you take the pulse is you... Um, honestly say you don't know enough. And that's what I had to do. I had to walk into a lot of conversations um, and say, I don't know enough about people of color and the challenges they've had. I don't know enough about the LGBT community because I don't happen to be gay, right? But what I needed to do was to understand it from their lens. So I think the biggest role that I've been able to provide, um, because one of the, the mantras that we started our DI efforts was, it was not about a number, right? Because I could make a number all day long, right? And change our diversity targets and numbers. But what would happen is you wouldn't retain people because culturally they wouldn't feel seen or heard or safe in this environment. And for me, um, I needed to make sure that we were being really authentic in how we were showing up. So we've invested money in our employee resource groups. I think we have embraced them as uh, our leaders of those ERGs, as leaders within the company. We give them a seat at the table when we talk about our DEI strategy, which is really important because we want voices to be heard. Um, we also are doing a lot of programming. So our LGBT community uh, this year, forgive me, it'll be our third or fourth year in June, we will have a program called Project Pride. And it's a company-wide program that people come together and we celebrate the LGBTQ plus um, allies uh, in that community. So for us, it's about education, programming, um, but most importantly, space. And I think the people that have um, probably been seen 
as allies to those that need to see them are those that were willing to say, I don't know enough and lean in and learn. And I think that's the only way to really drive change. And I think it's something I am proud of because the feedback from the team is they do feel heard. Um, I had someone on my team not long ago who had changed her original name to an American version culturally because she did not feel safe using that name. And uh, she sent out an email and she was changing her name back to her given name. And it was because she felt safe at our company and she would be welcome to do that. And honestly, I have to admit, I cried. And then I called her and I was like, I am so proud of you. And more importantly, I'm so proud that like at this company that you feel safe to do that. That for me is a better measure of success that one individual showing up that way, then me be able to say, I move the needle, this percentage on my diversity targets. So I think it's all about culture, education, and the authenticity of that. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think that's a, that's a great example of a very specific result. And of course, you know, um, has a huge, huge impact on the team. Of course, it has a huge impact on that person, but on the whole team, yes. I'm sure it has a, a big impact. Right? It, well, it has a ripple. I love the idea, you know, that we talk about ripples all the time, right? That email when she sent out, like it, there was a ripple. I got phone calls. She got phone calls because that that's the movement you really need to see because that's someone now that um, is is loyal and feels safe and, and we will be able to retain her because we've created an environment she feels comfortable in. And that's really what leaders need to be doing. Absolutely. I know that your work in this area also extends outside of uh, GPJ. Um, I believe you have some um, experience with Girls Inc., if I'm not mistaken, where you help kind of yep. girls have opportunities in business and in life. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and what are you most proud of in that work? Sure. So I'm the board chair for uh, Girls Inc. Westchester, which is a local chapter of this 150-year-old organization. Um, and I came across when actually a client of mine was being honored as an honoree. Um, I've always been passionate about empowering uh, girls and women, probably because I was raised in a family that my mom and dad were completely equal, right? My mom was a nurse, my dad was a teacher, but everything in life was equal. And I didn't know that there was hierarchy growing up, like in, in, in by gender in certain families or in business, because I didn't experience that. They were complete equals and to this day, they still are. So for me, um, being empowering and creating conditions for girls to have what I had has always been a passion of mine. So I joined this organization um, after attending the, one of the galas that my client was at, and I, I was astounded by um, the impact they're able to have. So Girls Inc. is a girls-only program. It's research-based, so all the programming is done on research-based um, things around strong, smart, and bold, and attributes we create about STEM, healthy relationships, and those sort of things. Um, but I think the only way to stay committed to something is to really see the impact. And about, well, before the pandemic, about three years ago, we were preparing for the gala, and we wanted the girls to present, and they were so nervous. So actually, a few of my strategists from uh, George P. Johnson, we went and met with them, and we helped them create their personal stories. And we talked to them about a narrative arc and how in writing you have to tell your story in a way to engage your audience. And then we trained them in TED-style presentations, how to do that in a way that you can engage your audience. And um, three of them came and spoke about their experiences. One of them talked about her learning disability and how she used to be bullied relentlessly um, at school. And she felt safe doing that because we helped her kind of process that. And at the end of her presentation, Miguel, she got a standing ovation from the 500 people in the room. And I remember the first thing I said to her when she came off the stage is, whenever you doubt yourself, you remember this moment. 
this moment for the rest of your life, because that's how empowering it is. And the confidence that they got and how you can see with the right conditions, you can, you can, you can tap into people's confidence and provide that opportunity. I will be involved in this organization for as long as they'll have me because it is so powerful. And these girls are going on to college now at a higher rate and into different careers. And I think we have to, as leaders, you know, provide opportunities for people to, to untap, you know, their full potential. And it sounds like there's a lot of, uh, like a big link from, from that kind of work to event work and to brand experience work Absolutely. are you do you draw parallels and do you draw uh feelings and emotions and kind of yeah. situations that you can create into your brand experiences absolutely. and events absolutely because it goes to the start of our conversations we're still dealing with humans and everything that we do one of the another parallel i'll make and, and this is not like a, a deep statement but um i'm a parent of three teenagers and a few years ago you know working mom was stressed a lot and i felt like wow i'm not like in the right zone for my kids so i took a mindfulness and parenting class mostly so i would stop yelling which i think was the main strategy i was trying to get to but every technique i learned in that mindfulness class i apply in my business life because the the, the basic tenet of mindfulness is it's not you can't you're not supposed to react to what another person is doing right like and or you're supposed to understand why they're reacting in a particular way and how you respond to it. And it's been profound for me, right? That I've been able to take these techniques I thought I was looking at as a parent and apply it into my business life. So I think everything is a lesson like that. And I think the, um, the girls program as well, because I'm seeing what techniques are resonating with them. And I apply them in meetings, I apply them in training, I work with my talent and culture on those things as well. So I'm a big believer that your personal and professional lives are completely melded together. And I embrace that because I think there's so much learning from both in the same way. I don't, I'm not a big believer B2B experiences are totally different than B2C, right? Everyone always talks about that. I think that's nonsense at the core, you're creating something, right? How you do it might be different, but the outcome you're getting to is exactly the same. Yep. I totally agree with you there. Human to human experiences. It's better Absolutely. than B2B or B2C. Absolutely. Absolutely. So going back to the industry for, for, for a bit, um, sure. Challenges facing the industry. <laughs> Obviously, we've just, you know, we're we're hopefully on the way out of a, a two-year COVID pandemic. Um, there's a lot of challenges connected to that. But maybe uh, stepping aside from the obvious financial staffing and, and maybe technological challenges, or even, you know, including technological challenges, are there any kind of things that you see up ahead that that maybe the industry hasn't really kind of clocked onto yet and kind of like, oh, wait, this might actually be a big issue and we're not really dealing with this yet. Yeah. I, I, um, so the first answer is it's all the things that you said, right? It's resources, it's time, it's supply chain, whatever things we were talking about now. Um, I think the thing that I would be most mindful about when we're talking to our clients is not going back to the way that it was, right? Because I think people and, and uh, experiences fall into buckets. And I think that those that took the time to understand that uh, look, one of the things I would love to see is the word event go away. I'm a big believer in everything's an experience, right? The word event is too defining for me. It's why GPJ were an experiential marketing agency. We always have been. What I've found in the last two years is that's actually become understood. Uh, that for me is a profound thing that happened during the pandemic. I do think that that's leapfrog people understanding the broader sense of experience. So I think the biggest risk is to try to go back to this is how a trade show happened. This is what we did in conferences, like that sort of model, because 
the world has changed too much for that to actually work effectively. It'll be okay, but it goes back to good, not great, what you were talking about before. So do I know what the next thing is? I'm not sure, but it, in the same way I knew it was broadcast, right? We invested a lot in gaming. There's a lot to be learned in gaming right now and how that plays in to the experience we have. So I think we have to keep looking at the trends, but I think the biggest thing is to make sure we don't go back to the way it was because the systems, as you said, the tools, the processes are the biggest things. And the other one, and I get asked this by clients all the time, like, what's the next big technology? And my attitude is, I don't care because at the end of the day, it'll be a short-term thing, right? You always have to be on top of the technology. I'm not the place that we're invested heavily in digital. I think it's it's so profound. It's a thread. It's always going to be there. But when clients talk about like, should we buy this or invest in this? I always tell people to be really mindful because a lot of the technologies like they come and go, right? The thread is you need both physical, digital, and hybrid. I think that's here to stay. What levers you use are gonna change based on your needs and what's happening in the industry. It's not a perfect answer because I don't know, I think you have to be in it at the same time and see where it's going. Um, the one thing I think we have to be better at as an industry is data. Um, you know, that for me is something I think is untapped. And I think um, data and analytics is gonna be a big thing in experiential because I think one thing people have walked away is results are down because live experiences are down, right? Now, how do you bring them back and, and really use data to create the experiences that are going to drive success? Not a perfect answer, but I think it's kind of where I'm leaning. It's, it's you know, I, it's a tough question. You know, I'm always asking yeah. those questions of, you know, where do you see the future and and and, and it, what's different to what other people are expecting? I think it's, yeah. it's, it's a very, very fine answer. Um, just to kind of, I don't know. Uh, play devil's advocate a little bit with with that answer in a way. Um, yeah. I can see very much the events to experiences, um, but I also see an event industry that's heavily reliant uh, on events and understanding how events work. And you know, big hotels, big convention centers, big companies that yeah. know how to do things in a certain way. And mm -hmm. if you start talking about experiences, and that may not mean an event. That makes a lot of people very nervous, right? Because it's like, what do you mean you're not doing this big event that you used to do or yeah. something like that? Is there, you know, I mean, I think it's it's a bit fatalist in a sense, like, I don't know if there's any way to solve it, but what would you say to those people to maybe try to push them into thinking a bit laterally and kind of considering different opportunities? Well, I think you start with, with the data and the insights, right? So look, I mean, some people will always go to big conferences and big trade shows and those sort of things. But I would talk about like the impact of the pandemic. Are people going to get on a plane and go away for 10 days like they used to? Probably not. Um, and I think time is going to be the biggest constraint that we're seeing because people are so used to getting everything on their computer at a moment of time. I don't think that's the right experience, but that's what was happening. So I think, Miguel, one of the things that we've been talking a lot about is um, different types of experiences, like those that are episodic, right? Those that just show up or in front of you and pop up an experience and they're there for a few days and they move on. I think those are the things that are um, what we have to do more of, right? Because we have to bring, and we have to bring the experience to the, con the consumer or the audience. I think that's going to be a lot of our clients. We're talking to them about that as well. How do you do that? But the other one that you touched on, the events is not about the physical piece. It's about social, right? It's about all those digital, it's about all those other components. And it's just that the moment in time is the, is the event experience. And I think we have to think about that. But I would, I think short, short, smaller, 
brought to you kind of pop-up experiences that we're going to be seeing a lot of testing in the space. The big venue thing, it's a comfort, right? Like you just talked about, and people are used to doing that. But even within those experiences, I think what we're going to see is the venues and the hotels get challenged differently. I'm not looking for that traditional experience. I'm looking to create something differently, even if I'm in this venue. And how do we make the venue something that can be anything we want it to be? And that, that's going to be a challenge. I mean, one of the biggest things we always talk about is, okay, you go into this big ballroom and that hideous rug in every hotel that you've ever been in, right? It, it ruins the experience. It's like a little thing, but it comes up in every meeting I ever go to. You know, how do we change some of that? So I think um, you're going to see some brands lean in really differently. Um, and you're going to see some brands want to be, you know, comfortable with what they do. And I think you have to um, know your audience well enough to know who's the one that's going to leapfrog to the next thing. Very interesting. Um, you've talked a little bit about this already, but I wanted to maybe pick on it a little bit more. Um, what What do you see in the industry that you'd like to to see change? You know, are there things in the event industry that you kind of go like, I wish this wasn't this way, or I wish we could overcome this thing. Is there anything that comes to mind? Well, the first one is killing off the word event, like I had talked about and doing experiences. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the one for me is um, the annual nature of what we do, right? We had an event in January, we're going to always have an event in January, like, or it's the same, that kind of the planning is sort of ritual, like in how it happens. That's something I'd love to see change. And you know, you know, a lot of times when you start having conversations, okay, it's like, okay, but why did we choose that location? Because it's a location or that's because where your customers are. Like, and so I think one trend that we're seeing in the industry coming out of the pandemic, because they haven't had that ritual nature, right? We haven't seen that is portfolio planning, going back to some basics around, you know, a really cohesive plan on how do you show up? How do you reach your audience? What is the timing for that and thinking differently about it? So I think that, um, the ritual part of it sort of being broken because the pandemic is actually a good thing, right? And I think it gives us a chance to pause and really think about, do you need to make those level of investments that we've done before or where do those need to go now? So I think for me, breaking some of the rituals is probably the biggest opportunity um, in the industry. I like that. I think uh, sacred cows and all that, but also just trying to be very objective about things like if, if it doesn't have to be like this, why, why does it have to be like this? Right. And, and that goes to the point I made earlier about having a strategic you know, point of view. We have a, a methodology we use sometimes called strategic experience mapping. And it goes, there's a very basic tenet. It's like feel, think, know, and do, right? What do people feel? What do they need to think to move to action? What do you need to do and tell them? But a lot of times you forget about the feel, think, and you kind of go to know. Here's all the things you need to know about my business. And I think the more we can understand the first two is going to drive the change that we need. Yeah, like that. That's really good. What about the, you know, you, we've talked about different formats, different ideas, different reasons for events to happen. Um, are there any kind of event formats that you're confident we'll be, see, we'll be seeing more of uh, in the future, in this kind of post-pandemic, hopefully, future? Um, I think it's going to be those comes, come to you, smaller, targeted, bring the experience to either a client base, to a local city, um, add on to other experiences. But I think it's going to be those smaller targeted kind of either pop up or bring the experience to where the audience is versus expecting them to come to us. Right. And I think that's something that is a big shift from some of the bigger things that we've been seeing. I think that would be really foundational if we were able to hit that really well, because you can also make it 
uh, personalized, right? Targeted by a brand, those sort of things. And we're starting to see that already, but I think that's one that we're gonna definitely see. I think I, I definitely agree with you there. Um, just to kind of expand on that a little bit more, I mean, we've seen, you know, the future of work, this hybrid work, remote work, et cetera. And I think yep. that has a big influence on this kind of trend. Um, from your point of, from your perspective, do you believe that this will be how we stay going forward? Is Are these like come to us events just going to be what there is, or are we going to come back to, uh, to uh, sorry, come to us events uh, and away and back away from come to you events? Um, I think there's going to be both. I think there's going to be some that really embrace that and have it as a targeted part of their program. And I think there's going to be people that still want to show up in some of these bigger experiences. I think it's going to be both in the same way. We don't really know what hybrid work is yet because we're really not in it, right? We're just getting back to it. And we're, you know, we're working on that within our own company. People are coming back into an office, but what we're trying to do is not make it a mandate, like make it a desire, right? That you want to connect with people. What we're finding is uh, we were having people, our offices are open. People would show up on Tuesday and someone would also come up on Thursday and they're like, oh, we missed each other. So now we have targeted days. If we're going to be in the office, show up on this day. That's when everyone's going to be there. And the energy that comes from that is astounding, right? You know, I was in a two-day meeting. The, um, actually, I can't believe I'm saying this because I haven't been in a two-day meeting in years. Uh, but on uh, last Monday and Tuesday for a new brand that we're working with. And I walked away at the end of the meeting saying, it would have taken us weeks to get through all the content we were able to do. So there is something about that physical nature and the energy that you're able to bring together. So I think it's going to be a combination. I think that's because all brands are different. <coughs> Excuse me. It's, it is funny because I mean, as event people, we should know this, this should be natural to us, right? But we're still discovering how that energy and how that kind of working yeah. remotely and, and hybrid kind of comes together. Yeah. And it's going to be a journey, right? Because one thing we have to remember is there are more people that are remote now. How do we make sure they're engaged in the experience, right? We have to really, in the same way we would have talked about when you create a hybrid experience, you have to create a unique experience for the in-person and the remote. You have to do it in your work environment now too and bring them together differently. I think that's going to be the next big focus because I don't think most people have that uh, really thought through well enough. Yeah, very interesting. It does feel like the answer is is a, a blend or a mix or finding the right mix there. Yeah. Fiona, it's been really fascinating to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. I want to wrap up with asking you the question that we ask all our guests now, which is, who should we have next on the podcast? And I'll add a, an extra question in there, which is, um, if they do agree to be on the podcast, what should we ask them? So, you know, if there's any stories or anything that you think would be particularly interesting to ask them about, um, please include that in your in your answer. Sure. So, um, one of our uh, newest clients is Indeed. And um, we've been spending a lot of time with them, you know, partnering with them on their overall experiential strategy. But for me, I feel every time I go to meet with them, I learn something that I can apply to my business because of what they do, retention strategies, how they're hiring of people. Um, and they have this amazing uh, balance about how they want to bring their brand to life. So I, I, first of all, I would recommend uh, Charlotte Peterson. She leads uh, the events experience and and uh, the a lot of the marketing organization at Indeed. Um, but I feel like you can talk to them about that balance, about what are they doing to reach people, right, through their business? What's changed? Um, you know, they have a happiness index that they're working on right now. Like, there's so many unique things that they're doing, which are so core to who their brand are, that differentiate them, that they're able to bring to life and experiences. But honestly, as, as a business leader, 
I found every time I go to those the meetings with them, I find so much that I'm able to apply to my my business, not just the experiences. So I, I think they'd be a great candidate because it links a lot of what we've been talking about in this uh, in the last hour. Well, thank you for that. I think uh, Charlotte would be a great guest and uh, lots lots of interesting questions, probably a little bit outside the event industry, but I think there'd be a lot to connect it back to yeah. everything yeah. we talked about. And they have a big portfolio in events, but I think she can bridge a lot of things that we've been talking about because I think there's a lot that's relatable. Perfect. Looking forward to speaking with her. Fiona, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you for spending some time with us today. I hope the listeners enjoy this episode as much as I have. And um, yeah, see you soon at, at an event, be it virtual or, or, or in person, right? I, I really appreciate the time. And um, I, I walk away so excited about what's next coming out of these sort of discussions. So I appreciate the time and the thoughtful discussion. Thank you, Fiona. Take care. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmv.com.